Man, Merry Christmas! Man, what a crowd today. Um, we just want to tell you for a moment, Merry Christmas, and thank you for being with us at Christmas in Elgin today. Come on, give it up. You're here. You're doing it right, man. You're doing it right. What a day, what a day. You can go ahead and turn in or on your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 is where we're really going to hang out most of the time today. Uh, but as you're doing that, we believe in taking notes, so uh, as you're getting your pens and paper ready and you're flipping in your Bibles to all that stuff, um, I just want to let you know we've already had uh, one amazing service at 8.30 this morning. There was a, a large group of people that showed up this morning to make room at the 10 and the 11.30 for you and your guests to be here to make sure that there was room uh, and seats available to, to spread that out. So, uh, man, God's been doing some amazing things, but I want to tell you about something maybe you didn't know. Last night, we already had a Christmas service last night. We did something that we've never done in the history of Radiate Church. We had an additional service in a totally different town. We had Christmas in Elgin last night. I mean, Christmas in Florence last night uh, in Florence, South Carolina, and about 60 people showed up. Come on. Lives were changed forever. Radiate Worship, we have a, we have a, a life group or a, a house campus that meets there yeah, every other week, and it's amazing things that are taking place. It's building, it's growing, lives are changing, and, and we brought the, the Christmas service to them last night. Worship and teaching and kids and, and everything, man. It was an amazing time uh, as we were all there together, and so uh, I also need to tell you this. This is going to jack some of you up. I already told you at 8.30 we had a service, right? So we, we, we jammed out. We worshiped God early this morning. Uh, I may or may not be running on an IV of Red Bull right now. Doesn't much matter, you know. Um, but here's the great thing. Five kids and Radiate Kids accepted Jesus this morning. Before you ever got here. Come on, let's celebrate what Jesus is already doing in the house. Let's go, baby. That's what it's about. Man. Amen, and radiate kids, and so before you ever got here, Jesus was saving souls, wrecking lives, and doing his thing uh, before you ever even got up this morning, and so it's amazing that you're here. I want to say Merry Christmas. Is anybody like, you're last minute, and I'm not even close to ready for Christmas yet, like, okay, it's more hands than I thought. <laughs> um, that's great, and I'll be praying for you, all right, because you're going to have to get out in some traffic that is not going to be very holy. Um, and we're excited. No, Christmas is great. I, I love Christmas time. I'm a Christmas guy. I love Christmas movies, right? Anybody got, anybody like the Christmas story movie? The movie, the Christmas story, yeah? How about, how about Elf? Any Elf fans in the house? Yeah, man, I, I like Elf. You should, it, it, he, I know Santa! Santa! I know him! Uh, I love that movie. It's so good. There's so many quotes in that movie, and there's so many things that are so good and about Christmas, but if you really break down the Christmas story, like we're going to do in just a moment. When you really break it down, you get into the details. Let's be honest. The Christmas story is really messy. Christmas story is messy. Like we know the clean, rounded off edges version of the Christmas story. No matter if you were raised in church or not, you probably know some version of the Christmas story. And it's probably pretty clean and neat. You know, Jesus was born in a manger and it was happy and it was good and, and, and all this stuff. And he's the savior of the world and, and all these things. And it was foretold. But the truth of the matter is everything looks good from afar. The further away you get from something, the better it looks. That's why most of us, uh, our Christmas cards are our family smiling, right? In matching pajamas with Santa hats on and like we look good. But what they don't know is 30 seconds prior, it's like, you better sit down and be quiet right now. 
Santa's not coming to you, you're getting a bag of coal. Right? But the Christmas cards is from afar. And so it's like, and the, and the ladies, you're, you're posing. You got this whole thing going. And the guys are like, we don't even know how to smile right in our pictures. Like me, I feel so awkward. I'm like, eh, give me some wax to hold my, whatever, right? And so, like, everything is good from afar. But when you get up close and you look into the details of the Christmas story, the truth of the matter is it gets really messy, it gets really dirty, it gets really messed up. I, I, let, me, let me show you what I'm talking about, right? So you got Mary and Joseph, stars of the show, right? So they're getting married, and, and it's been arranged that they're going to get married, they love each other, and they're going to get married, and all this great stuff. And it says that Joseph was betrothed to Mary, or Mary was betrothed to Joseph, which means that Joseph is going away for about a year or two, and he's going to build a place for him and his new wife to live. And so while he's gone, Mary's kind of doing her thing, and all of a sudden this angel shows up out of nowhere, which is perfectly normal, right? And it's not even out of the ordinary. This angel shows up and goes, hey, Mary, you're going to have a son. And she's like, hold up, angel. Wrong address. I've never done anything like that. I'm pure. And he's like, no, 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 Mary, you're going to have a son named Jesus. He's going to be the son of God, and it's going to come from God through the Holy Spirit. Completely normal. Nothing out of the ordinary about that story, right? So she's told all this, and Mary automatically begins to doubt and question because she knows that, man, by the law and by the letter of the law and all this stuff, she could be stoned to death. She could be outcasted, blacklisted, blackballed, whatever you want to call it, from everybody. Like, it's not a good thing that's about to happen to her. And the angel looks at her and goes, no, 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 no. Take peace because you're favored. In other words, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to pay paths and I'm going to make ways for everything to be okay for you. So she's going through this thing, accepting it. She's getting pregnant and, and this baby's growing inside of her. And I don't know if you've ever seen a pregnant woman, but it's hard to hide a baby growing inside of your belly. So she's at motherhood and maternity buying her clothes. People are like, what's going on here? Joseph shows back up. When he gets in town, she's like, Joseph, I've missed you. You look so good. I like the haircut, the new haircut. It's amazing. You haven't cut it at all. He shows up. She starts talking to him. She goes, man, you, so, you look so good. It's so good to see you. Hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. He's like, oh, oh wait, hold on. That's how this is going to roll? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. And she's like, no, Joseph, it's not like that, man. I'm giving birth to Jesus, God's son. Completely normal excuse, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's okay to kind of look at this story and be like, this is weird. Because it kind of is a weird story. And so Joseph is making up in his mind and actually talks about how Joseph was about to probably leave her, break off the engagement, go about his own way. And again, completely normal. An angel shows up to Joseph. He's like, hey, don't do that. What she told you is right. It's true. All these things are going to take place. And after conversation, Joseph's like, okay, good. We're going to hold this thing out. We're going to continue doing this. And then they have to go to Bethlehem for a census. And so they're on a donkey traveling across the country in the wind, in the sand, in the rain maybe, all kinds of, and just we don't know the elements, cold, the hot, whatever it was, right? And so they're traveling in just like the rest of the story, something completely un, just, just unprepared for happens. And she starts to give birth on the back of a donkey. She's having birth pains. She's having contractions. And Joseph gets to Bethlehem. He's knocking on everybody's door. Hey, 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 my wife's about to give birth. about to give birth. And like all of us would have, everybody that he knocks on the door is like, no, nah, she ain't giving birth in my house, man. This is weird. 
And so one family finally goes, hey, I don't have any room for you in the guest room. My guest room is all taken up. So, but what I do have is I have a, a barn underneath our house and you can go down there and we'll make room and we'll clean up the mess and we'll make it not smell so bad and we'll do what we need to do, but at least you can go there. So they go into the barn with all the animals and as you know, Jesus is born and he's placed in a manger. A manger is not this beautiful thing that we see it as. A manger is a feeding trough for animals and it's affixed to the floor. And so like it's been carrying hay and water or whatever it was carrying in the moment. And so they clean it out, they put it in there. Jesus is born and then you ever heard the song Silent Night, right? Yeah, that song's not true. You ever seen a newborn baby? Ain't many silent nights. <laughs> I'm just having some fun. But, you know, and so they have the baby. And then about, as we learn, it's not just three wise men, but it's probably like 50, 60 wise men show up with three gifts. Because I know, you know, everybody wants 50 or 60 people showing up to their hospital room after you give birth. And then apparently a drummer boy shows up and just beating on his drum like, Hey, Mary, I know you just gave birth. But you know, and the baby smiles at him like, eh. you know, and, and all this stuff. Right. And it's a weird story. Not only after the birth and after the wise men and the shepherds and all these people show up, not only that, Mary and Joseph go into a two year exile with Jesus because Herod's killing babies because he didn't want a king to rise up and take his throne. Like it's crazy. It's messy. But we don't. We don't look at that side of the story because at this time of the year, it's holly jolly Christmas. It's we're rocking around the Christmas tree. It's it's good. It's easy. Listen to me. Things are good from afar, but we have to learn. I love the fact that the Christmas story is a mess. And I'm going to tell you why, because my life is a mess sometimes. And chances are, if you're sitting in here today, your life is a mess sometimes. And what this teaches me whenever I get into the mess of the story and the weirdness of the story is that miracles come out of a mess. A Savior was born out of the midst of a mess. In fact, the Christmas story was actually starting to be told, not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but in Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. There's something that's said in here that's talking about this setting up for the Christmas story to be said, to, to be told. Let me read it to you real quick. It's going to come on the screen. Uh, I think it's going to come on the screen, but let me read it to you. It says, but as for you, Bethlehem, as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Here's, here's what they're saying. Like, the Lord is saying through the prophet Micah, he's looking and he's going, hey, Bethlehem, you are the last pick in the kickball game at recess. You're too small, you're too skinny, you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not intelligent enough, you got all these things working against you, you're a tiny town, you're a tiny place, there's no big clan, there's no big army, there's no big king, there's no all these things that are going to come out of you, Bethlehem. You are an underestimated, forgotten, overlooked issue, a blip on the map, if you will. And, and I love the fact that Micah, or the Lord actually through Micah, sets up the story by first saying, Bethlehem, you're a joke. And then it says this, and then it says this. It says, for you, from you will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Here's what Micah's saying. Here's what the Lord's saying. Please don't, don't miss this. It's so powerful. He's saying, hey, Bethlehem, you are tiny. You are the town nobody wants to go to and the people from here want to move away from. Nobody expects anything from you. 
However, from your tiny beginnings will come the Savior of the universe. He will become the God in the flesh. Jesus is going to come from you. The very place nobody expects anything from is the very place that will save everybody's soul that Jesus will come from. I want you to hear me today. Maybe you think you're just a blip on the map and the thing in your life that you're dealing with or you're going through or that you're perfecting or you're learning is just this one small little thing that doesn't make sense. It is from the mess. It is from the tiny points of life where miracles are made. Miracles are birthed from a mess. He looks and he says, hey, Judah, I mean, Bethlehem, you're not, you don't even compare to the clans around you. It reminds me of this story to where all these people in the New Testament are trying and going, hey, you got to come see Jesus. You got to come see the Son of God. You need to get in his, in his presence. You need to see what he's about. And this statement is made by someone that they're giving invites to and they're trying to bring. Here's what they say. They say, what good can come from Nazareth? In other words, what is there that's any good from Bethlehem? What is there that's any good from that area, from that place? And if we, we know the end of the story, so we could look at him and go, what good? The only good one, Jesus, the savior of your soul is the one that comes from Bethlehem, is the one that comes from Nazareth. That's what's good that can come from there. I know you look at it as a tiny place that doesn't matter, but God looks at it as a tiny place that will matter because it is not the size that matters, it's the submission. It's the heart. And so maybe we're overlooking in our lives some mess that we're going through. Some faults, some problems, some tiny things, some big things, whatever it is. But I want to encourage you today. Your mess may birth a miracle. Your mess may birth the greatest thing you've ever seen in your lives, your friends, your neighbors, all of your coworkers. It may birth the greatest. Embrace the mess. Embrace the mess. I know it's not fun, right? Because it's better. It's easier to look at Christmas cards because those look good. And there's nothing wrong with Christmas cards. Please don't walk out of here going, the pastor said Christmas cards are bad. No, it's easier to look at them because the further away we get, the better everything looks. Because if you're anything like me, sometimes we don't want people to get too close because when they get too close, they'll see the mess that we're trying to hide from everybody else. But when we embrace the mess, when we embrace what it is, then God can do some miraculous things in our lives. Amen? And so I want to I wanna look... And I want to even get a little bit deeper into this entire thing of a mess today because uh, I just want to, I want to show you something and you got to follow me. It's going to be a little untraditional. It's going to be a little, uh, uh, you probably didn't expect it a little bit, but I want you to follow me for the whole service today because God's going to show us something really amazing as we dig into the mess of what it looks like. Because in, in Matthew chapter one, you read, have you ever been reading the Bible and you get to a chapter Maybe in the Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. But you get to these boring chapters, right? And some of it is like, this person begot this person, begot this person, begotted that person, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And Ezekiel, he's, he's going through the temple, and he's like, this doorway is this many cubits wide, and this many cubits tall. And you're sitting there reading it, and you're like, I don't need to know this stuff. I'm not building a temple, and I don't even know how to say their names. Anybody with me in the room right there? You read that, and you're like, I'm skipping that one, but I'm checking it off on my Bible reading plan. <laughs> hey, some of you guys are like, I ain't raised my hand. You're the pastor. Hey, I raised mine. It's okay. Right? We get through that stuff. But here's what Timothy teaches me in the New Testament. T Timothy teaches me that every word of the Bible is God-breathed and God-ordained. And so what that means is that there's a purpose for everything in Scripture. 
And there's a chance that some of you have skipped Matthew chapter 1, but there's some life-giving principles in Matthew chapter 1 that if we'll dig in and understand, and the reason is, is because it's genealogy. It's a family tree. You know, 23andMe and Ancestry.com and all that's really important right now. Jesus didn't need all that. He just listed it all, right? And so here's the importance of a family tree. Here's the importance of genealogy is this. You were qualified or disqualified by what was in your family tree, by who was in your family tree. So instead of presenting a resume for a job or presenting a resume to, 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 to someone, you would present your family tree. And you were either qualified for the job based on who was in your family tree or you were disqualified for your job. Some of you are like, I praise God that is not the case in my life anymore, right? In some ways, uh, when, we, when we give our resume to people, we will purposely leave previous jobs and stops off of our resume. Like, I hope they don't find out about that job and they don't need to call that boss, right? Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm just going to tell you exactly because here's the other importance. If the Jews were going to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Bible tells us and prophecy tells us that Jesus had to be dated all the way back to David. But Matthew and God go, no, 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 I'm not dating him back to David. I'm going to date him all the way back to Abraham. I'm going to show all the connections that is there with Jesus. And so there's some important lessons to be learned in the genealogy of Jesus because he's qualified or disqualified by his family tree. How many of you guys have trees in your houses right now, family, like Christmas trees, right? You got a tree in your house. Most of us do. Probably all, I would venture to say probably every family in the room has a Christmas tree today. Now, there's two factions of people with Christmas trees. We got the real tree people. Anybody in the house a real tree person? You with me? All right. Be proud of that, man. You just took oxygen from everybody. Like, be proud of that. You're, you're, like, you're like me. I'm a real tree person, right? I, I believe real tree, real Christmas. My, my whole thing is like I grew up as a kid and we'd go to the tree farm with a saw and we'd cut down the tree. In fact, throughout my childhood from middle school through high school, even into college, I worked at a tree farm every year. And that was the best paying job I ever had. I'm just saying, when you're, when you're cute and nice and you carry a tree, they give you big tips. And so I was cute then. I don't know what happened. But anyway, so you go through and you saw the tree and you cut the tree down and you load it in the back of your truck and you feel like Paul Bunyan and a lumberjack walking around. Oh, 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 right. You're overpaying for taking oxygen from yourself and you put it up and put it in your tree. Or, or you do this. You go to Food Line and you're like, I need milk and I need mac and cheese and give me that tree while you're at it. Because it's completely normal to buy a tree at a grocery store, right? How many, how many fake tree people do we have in the room today? You guys are entirely too proud. Some of us crazy people, we go to a field and cut down a tree. You guys are like, I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to the attic. <laughs> Pull it out of a box. It's pre-lit. You're brilliant, by the way. It's pre-lit. Some of you, if you're lucky enough, you got the pre-decorated. I don't even know if that's real, but there you go. Million dollar idea. Just give me some royalties on it. Right, so you put it up, and but no matter where we stand on it, we, we bring our tree into the house, we set it up, and then we spend time making it beautiful. Because Instagram has got to see our beautiful tree. <laughs> no, our, our friends have got to see it, and Jesus isn't glorified if our tree isn't beautiful. And so we're, we're, we're decorating our tree, and we're having some fun. I, our tree is beautiful, I love it. And in my, in my house, we have these little sticks that twirl on the end with glitter all over the place, and then you have to vacuum the floor 74 times a day to get the glitter up, you know. Or they make, uh, growing up, we used to have these things called icicles. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those things are straight from Satan. 
dude, those things, like, they fall. All, and I, anyway, I'm not getting into that. Anyway, so we make it look good, right? But when you look at Jesus' family tree, when you look at the tree Jesus did, we spend time making it look good. He actually made it look bad so that you and I could look good. Jesus didn't care about how his tree looked to everybody else. He cared about how you looked to everybody else. He wanted you to know how much you're valued. Let's look at it real quick. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, there's something interesting that is stated in here. It says this. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Let's just stop there. We don't have to read anymore. This is an incredibly odd story that Jesus would even place Rahab in his family tree. Here's why. In those days, in that society, in that culture, women had no value. The only value they had was based on the person they were married to. And so he, the fact that he placed her in the genealogy, in the family tree, was a miracle in and of itself to say this. No matter how much value you think you don't have, I'm adding value to you. Hear me. I know some of you walked in today and you feel like you're valueless. You have no value. You have no worth. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is putting you in his family tree because he believes you've got more value than you could ever see within you. And that he is here to say, you are a part of my family. He puts her in there, and, and here's the crazy thing. If you go back to Exodus, there's this story of God promising the Israelites and, 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 and Moses to, that they're going to walk across, and they're going to take over the promised land, and when they get over there, they send spies. Spies come back, hey, we can't go there, but there's somebody in the promised land that protects them from the giants and from the people uh, of the day, and it's called, her name is Rahab. And it's not that Rahab was, was this crazy, amazing person that makes it a miracle. It's what Rahab did. Her job was she was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. So not only did Jesus put a woman in his family tree, but he also put prostitution in his family tree. Like, I know we think that the story is all like good and, and smooth and easy and good to kind of grasp, but the truth is it's messy. There's, he looks and he goes, Rahab, a woman in prostitution is a part of my family tree. Remember, family trees qualified or disqualified you. Jesus looks and goes, I don't really care what you think about women and I don't really care what you think about prostitution. It's in my family tree and I'm not hiding it from you. Man, that's a, that's a crazy story. He goes, I'm not hiding it. I'm not changing it. I'm just making it a part of who I am. I know who I am, and I'm okay with that. And then if you scroll up a little bit, a few verses, a couple verses, Matthew chapter 1 and in verse 3 says this. This is insane. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Let's just stop right there. Why is that so crazy? Why is that such a story? Because you got to know the story in the Old Testament to connect to this. Judah was the father of present Zerah. Well, Tamar was his oldest son's wife. Okay, great, right? <laughs> she was also the mother of Perez and Zerah. Man, that's a great lifetime special right there. <laughs> what are you talking about? Tamar was the wife of his oldest son. His oldest son passed away, and by societal standards and cultural deeds, the youngest son then married Tamar because she was unmarried, and she was widowed. And then his youngest son passed away too, so she married both of Tamar's sons, I mean Ju Judah's sons. Then they both passed away, and then Judah comes back around after a few years, and he starts dabbling in prostitution. He goes to hire a prostitute, who then turns out, after the next morning, turns out to be Tamar, which is his, da his daughter-in-law. 
and she gets pregnant with Perez and Zerah. Jesus isn't shying away from this stuff. In fact, Jesus hangs scandal now on his family tree. Some of you are like, man, that'd be a great movie. Maybe, but that's Jesus' reality. It was a part of his family tree. Most of us try to make it look good. Let me get the lights just right. Let me get all this stuff going good. And Jesus is like, nah, man, there's scandal in my tree. There's scandal in my lineage. There's scandal in my genealogy. I'm not hiding from it. It's just what it is. Some of you guys are like, what are you teaching today? I'm teaching the Bible. But there's something amazing that takes place. So Jesus goes, hey, there's prostitution in my family tree. There's scandal in my family tree. And y'all thought you had drama in your family. Then if you skip on down to, to verse number six, this is great. This is going to be some names you understand. Jesse was the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Most of us know the story of David and Bathsheba. David is supposed to be at war with his troops. He's supposed to be leading by example. He's supposed to be fighting, but instead he stays back. He sees Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop uh, a, a few houses down. He gets the, you know, the emoji with the heart eyes? That's what, that's what David gets. He looks at his servant and he goes, bring her to me. So she comes over and he sleeps with Bathsheba, right? And so in that moment, he forces uh, uh, Bathsheba and himself to commit adultery because she then gets pregnant with Solomon. And so Jesus goes, hey, there's this story of David and Bathsheba that all of you know well because I called David a man after my own heart because it's not your action, it's your heart that matters. He said, he said, hey, a man after my own heart, you know the story, but I'm introducing adultery into my family tree. I'm telling you that you can disqualify me by this, but I'm telling you I'm actually qualified by it. And then let's not stop there. He didn't just uh, put adultery in there. It says, who had been the wife of Uriah. Uriah was David's right-hand man, David's friend. David found out that uh, Bathsheba was pregnant. He couldn't hide it. And so he went and got Uriah killed. And so now, not only is adultery in there in the same story, now murder's in there. Think about this. This isn't the Christmas story that we know. This doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is like, you got prostitution. You got scandal. You got adultery. And now I'm telling you, he, she had been the wife of Uriah because David, the one I just told you about that's in my family tree that you wanted to reduce me back to and trace me back to, let's not just look at him and go, hey, I'm just telling you that we're from David. He's looking and going, I'm gonna tell you what David was all about. David did some things that wasn't very good. And so he introduced murder into his family tree. Isn't that crazy? The Christmas card version and the Charlie Brown version of the Christmas story is a whole lot cleaner than the real version of the messiness of the Christmas story. And here's the crazy thing. That, that's just his mother's side of the family. That's just his mom's side. That's just one half of the story. All right, pastor, so what is the dad's side of the story? What is the dad's side of the family tree? Well, if you flip over really quickly with me to John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, remember, it says that Jesus would come from eternities and decades, from long ago, from eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 brings it all full circle. And the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. In other words, Jesus is now here, and he is the flesh. He is God with skin on. He is walking in the fullness of the Father. He is the begotten Son of God. He is walking in the fullness of the Word, is with him, and he is the Word, and the Word has now become flesh. In other words, his mother's side of the family is here, but his father's side of the family is not of scandal. It's not of prostitution. It's not of murder. It's not of adultery. It's of grace, and it's of truth. And he looks and he says, hey, I need you to understand something. I put all these things right here in my family tree and let you know about it all because I need you to understand something. I need you to know that I'm not shying away from all the things that you're scared of. I'm not afraid of that. Isn't it interesting that in Genesis chapter 3, humanity was ruined by a tree. 33 years after his birth, humanity is redeemed on a tree because in Revelation, it says he wants to celebrate with us at a tree all together in the kingdom of God. The tree matters. Hear me today. The tree qualifies you or the tree disqualifies you. It's what we do with the tree that matters. Now, where does all this line up? Because I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't shy away. Jesus goes, hey, you, you got murder in your life. Maybe not physical murder. Maybe you didn't break the law with it. Maybe it's your bitterness and it's murdering somebody else or it's murdering you. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's unforgiveness of yourself. Maybe it's unforgiveness of someone else. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Maybe it's those things. Maybe it's murder with words. Maybe it's murder, murder with thoughts. Whatever it is, James tells me that there is power of life and death in my tongue. Maybe I'm speaking murder over my kids and I don't even know it. We think it's a, it's a physical thing. No, maybe it's an emotional, spiritual thing. You hear me today? And Jesus goes, hey, I got murder in my family tree so that I can hang it on the tree. Because the Bible tells me that he became all that I couldn't carry. Murder. And then he goes, hey, adultery. I got adultery in my family tree. It's just part of who I am. You want to see more scandals? Go look in the Bible. Go read the rest of the story. This is just a few. He goes, hey, you got adultery. Maybe some of you are in the room and you're like, hey, I'm not cheating on my wife or my spouse. Maybe some of you are like, I am doing that. I'm looking at things on the internet that I shouldn't be doing. And that's called adultery in the eyes of God. Maybe I'm messing with somebody else. Maybe this, maybe that. And God's going, hey, we can forgive that and move forward. Or maybe it's on a spiritual sense. Pastor Travis told me something one time that I've never forgotten. He said, we have to choose one side of the fence, but we always have to remember the devil owns the fence. In other words, I can't have one foot here and one foot there. I got to decide where I'm going to go and I got to go. Adultery is this, being committed to one thing while flirting with another. I want you, God, I want your forgiveness, and I want your grace, and I want your love, until I don't. I, I want everything you're about until it's too hard. I want who you are until it's too difficult. I want to be disciplined by you and with you, and because you love me and I love you, until it's just not, it doesn't match up with my agenda. That, hear me today, that's, that's adultery, because love is commitment. Adultery is not. 
Maybe, maybe we're on that. And Jesus goes, hey, there's adultery on my family tree in a very real sense because some of you are going to struggle with that and I need to hang it on the cross. It's in my lineage. The tree matters. The tree qualifies or disqualifies. Maybe some of you, you feel like your life is living a scandal. Man, everything's fake. It feels good during the day, but when you lay your head down at night, it's not real. You're living your life to please everybody else. You're living your life to impress people that you don't even like and don't like you. Life is a scandal. It's one thing after another and it's drama after drama and it's my way or no way or it's I'm going to commit to this but I'm not going to do it. It's whatever it is. There's scandal in your life and there's always a person that's out to get you. I think, when I think of scandal, I think of victim mentalities. And I think Jesus looks and he goes, hey man, there was scandal in my family tree too but it's not too much to overcome because I'm going to hang it hanging on the cross and then some of us it's prostitution what are you talking about prostitution on a spiritual emotional mental sense to where we just sell our allegiance to the highest bidder we sell our heart to the highest bidder depending on how we feel that day the devil came through with a better the enemy came through with a better deal today God you better one up it hear me today please hear this Jesus is not going to get in a bidding war for your heart because he's already paid the ultimate price that nobody else could ever match. The devil may put a bid on your heart, but it's a check he can't write. Jesus said, I'm writing a check you can't write because I'm paying for your life. Prostitution, it's, it's hey, you know what prostitution is? It's, it's, selling our allegiance based on our feeling. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not committed to this. I'm not committed to you, God. I'm not committed to you, church. I'm not committed to you, spouse. I'm not committed to you, this. Because it depends on how I feel that day. And if I don't feel right that day, then it's all got to shift. And Jesus goes, hey, there's prostitution in my family tree too. But she earned a spot in the kingdom of heaven because of her forgiveness. Because, hear me today, and this is the most important thing you can get out of any of this. Hear me. He became what we couldn't pay. He became what we couldn't carry. He wasn't just a baby that was born. He's a savior that reigns. He wasn't just born in a manger. He reigns as a master. He's not just a kid on Christmas Day with presents. He is a savior whose presence changes us. And today, here's what I know. Some of us are sitting back and we're going, man, I, I never looked at it like he takes it off of his tree to put it on the cross. And I, I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm telling you the greatest present you could ever give him today is not perfection. It's not earning his love. It's not earning his grace. It's not looking at him and earning anything. It's looking at Jesus and saying this, I give you my heart. Not perfection, not trying, not energy, not effort. I give you my heart because I love you and because you love me and I got to get rid of some of this stuff. Some of you today, you feel like crying because there's something in this on an emotional scale, on a personal scale that you're carrying. Please hear me. Jesus didn't die on a cross. Jesus wasn't born in a manger so that you could carry all of it. 
In fact, the Bible says that his burden is light and his yoke is easy. In other words, if you'll hitch your weight to me, I'll carry it better than you ever could. There's two prayers I'm going to pray today. I prayed it last night. I prayed it at 8.30 this morning. The first one is this, that there's some people in the room that you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to go, I'm committed. I'm giving you my life. I'm submitting my heart. And I want to live with you. And I want you to walk with me through this entire journey. And then there's some people in the room, you're carrying things that you need to let go of. You need to apologize to some people. You need to ask God for forgiveness of some things. You need to let him carry something that you can't. Because you're not stressed because you got too much. You're stressed because you're carrying too much. Jesus goes, give it to me. Give it to me. None of us are perfect. None of us get it right. But Jesus goes, I had all this in my family tree so that I could hang it on a tree so that I could be with you at the tree in Revelation. Will you bow your heads with me today? If you're in the room, you'll say, Pastor, I, I got to give my life to Jesus this Christmas. I need to trust him with my salvation and my eternity and my destiny. I need to give him everything that I have today because I want to walk with him at the tree. I want him to forgive me and wipe away my sin and bring me into the new kingdom with him. Pastor, I, I want to pray the prayer of salvation today. I just want to ask you to do this and we're all going to pray together in just a moment. But if that's you and, and you want to do that, every eye closed, would you just raise your hand right where you are to say, I need to give Jesus my heart today and I want to pray that prayer. Anybody in the room that would say, Jesus, I give you all that I have today. Amen. Now let's pray this together. Hold them up high. Hold them up high so we can give you something and walk this out with you. Say this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, Come on, everybody together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for being born so that you could forgive me. Thank you for giving me a place in your family tree. I give you all that I am. I give you all that I've been. And I'll give you all that I'll ever be. Come on, say it. I'll give you all that I'll ever be. Thank you for welcoming me into the family of God today. Father, right now there's some people in the room that are carrying weight you never designed them to carry. Maybe it's past hurt, past pain, past unforgiveness, past bitterness, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, God. What you show us through the Christmas story is that we all have a place in your family tree. None of this scares you, none of this worries you because you place it on the cross so that we can live with you for the rest of our lives. God, we give you everything. I pray for the person that's sitting there today in tears and, and God, that your spirit is internally wrecking them because they know, God, we know that there's things that we've got to release to you. And God, I just pray that in this moment, that in eternally, we just say, God is yours, God is yours, God is yours. And God, we don't want to walk out of here the same that we walked in. We want to be changed. We want to be shifted. We want to be moved closer to you because you are the God of the universe. And we thank you that you gave, you love us so much that you gave your son on Christmas that we can have life and purpose 
And God, I pray that we, as we draw closer to you, that as Proverbs 4.3 says, that our lives would catch up to the submission of our hearts. God, we honor you and we worship you in the house today. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, Radiate Church, on your way out today. Yeah, come on, give it up for Jesus. We had some people pray the salvation prayer in the room today. There's some people at the exits with baskets if you're going to give physically today. Church, I want to invite you to come back and be with us next Sunday, 11 a.m. only, 11 a.m. only for our year, end of the year celebration. Hey, Merry Christmas. Let's go change the world. Love you, Radiate Church. See you next week.